Hello, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. And we hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. And if you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. If you give a baby or a toddler a train set, they will roll the train in all directions. They might pretend that the train flies. They will use their imagination and they will play. Uh, Which is to say that if you give a baby or a toddler a train set, the first thing they don't do is try to use the train for utility or production. They simply play. If you put a feather in front of a kitten, uh, she will pounce and bat and bite until the feather is in shreds. Which is to say the kitten will not try to use the feather for warmth or utility, but rather she will simply play. If you find or put a bird, a large bird, on a golf course, this might happen. Watch it. Boom! It gets better, it gets better. That was fun. Let's do it again. Boom! (laughs) So great. I don't know how, this, this video has been around for several years. I don't know how many of you have ever seen it, but it's a phenomenal illustration of how all animals play. We've been in this series uh, talking about how do we resist rage, outrage, in a culture that seems to be filled and full of outrage. And what we've discovered along the way is that God is gentle and ever patient in working with us. We've been invited to see the humanity of other people despite disagreements and to show hospitality and kindness to others. In, order, in other words, to reflect to other people the same love, grace, patience, and hospitality that God has given to us. We've talked very specifically about postures toward social media use. And even last week, we looked and we discovered that there is room and there must be room in our lives for a sort of righteous anger, that it's okay to be angry over the injustices of the world as long as that anger motivates us to generative work in the world as we participate with God in putting all things back to right. And so what was supposed to be a two-week series has ballooned into five or six weeks now, and I do have one final thing to say. And that is, there's one last key piece of the puzzle if we're going to resist outrage, and that piece is Sabbath, rest, play. I want to read to you uh, Exodus chapter 20. It's uh, the fourth commandment in the series of Ten Commandments. 
Ten Commandments are recorded both in Exodus and Deuteronomy. We'll read the Exodus version. Uh, It's Exodus chapter 20, beginning with verse 8. You can follow along on the screen. Uh, You can click there as well. But it says this, Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And you shall not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Many scholars agree that the commandment regarding the Sabbath is the central commandment. And that's different than saying it's the one in the middle. Uh, But it is a central commandment. Uh, It's actually the bridge that connects the first three commandments to the following six commandments. You see, the first three, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but in the Ten Commandments, the first three are deal with and are in regards to our relationship with God while the final six have to deal with and are in regards to our relationship with one another. And so the Sabbath command kind of stands in the middle. It stands as a bridge between those two sections of the Ten Commandments. It looks, it looks back and is deeply connected to how we are to relate to God and also looks forward in how we are to relate to one another, which is to say the practice of rest helps facilitate healthy relationship both with God and with neighbor. Oh, that's, that's good, <laughs> right? I'll say it again because I don't think you quite caught it. Uh, the, the practice of Sabbath or of rest helps to facilitate healthy relationship between God and neighbor. You may have heard the term hangry, right? Some of you are hangry right now, probably. Uh, or certainly as the sermon goes on, you will get hangrier and hangrier. Uh, Hangry is a term which means that you are so hungry, you are angry. But have you also heard the term tiraging? This is a term where you are so tired, you are raging about everything. (laughs) Right? So something happens when we're tired that we lose the capacity for healthy relationship. And so rest kind of helps facilitate this healthy relationship, and it's right here in the Ten Commandments. This sense of a rhythm of rest and Sabbath in our lives helps to facilitate healthy relationship with God and healthy relationship with one another. Theologian, there's a theologian named Walter Brueggemann. He's done some really helpful work on the Sabbath. I'm drawing from many of his ideas today. Uh, But the first thing to notice is that the Sabbath, uh, the Sabbath command is grounded in the creation narrative, Uh, which is to say we are to rest on the seventh day because God for six days worked in creation of the world and then rested on the seventh. And so the willingness to practice rhythms of rest make us more like the God of creation. 
And we, I think it's probably good for us to just spend some, a few moments just reflecting on that alone. That when we, we kind of live in a culture of productivity, right? Being busy is a badge that we wear, like, like a badge of honor. And, and so maybe let's just kind of reflect on this one fact, that when we take the opportunities to rest and practice rhythms of Sabbath, we become more like the God of creation who rested. Isn't it true that our hesitation to rest is because we think that if we take time to slow down or to rest, then we won't be as productive or we won't accomplish as much? Isn't that true? Our hesitation to rest is that we won't accomplish that much, we won't be as productive, and so we just kind of say we got to keep the wheels spinning and spinning and spinning. But look at the beauty of creation, and this God of creation accomplished all of this and rested. Are you with me? And so we imitate God when we rest from our labor. Now, there's a second thing I want you to notice that you wouldn't have noticed because we didn't read the Ten Commandments in their entirety. But here, notice this. The Ten Commandment narratives as a whole are set within the narrative of the Exodus. So while the Fourth Commandment in particular kind of has in mind or has echoes of the narrative of creation, the Ten Commandments as a whole call to mind the narrative of the Exodus. Verse 2 of Exodus chapter 20 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of slavery. So right there in verse 2, the whole of the Ten Commandments is being set within a story. In other words, these aren't, this isn't just something that ten, ten of like God's good ideas. Uh, these aren't like without context. These aren't just kind of floating out from the middle of nowhere. These commandments are set within a narrative. And to really understand the Ten Commandments, and maybe we'll do a whole series on this one day, but we need to understand the narrative context of the Ten Commandments. So the whole thing is set within the Exodus, uh, which is to say the Exodus or, or the writer uh, is trying to connect us that the God who rests is also the liberating God and seeking to connect those two ideas. The God who rests is also the God who liberates. Okay, so the Exodus imagery is really important. The Exodus, you might remember, is the story of Israel when they were enslaved in Egypt. Egypt was led by the Pharaoh. Pharaoh is not just the, like a unique first name. It's a title. Okay, so Egypt was led by the Pharaoh. And Pharaoh is, in Brueggemann's word, words, quote, a hard-nosed production manager for whom production schedules are inexhaustible, end quote. In other words, Pharaoh is a driving slave master. Pharaoh demands higher and higher. As you read the narrative of the Exodus, what you see is that Pharaoh demands higher and higher brick production from his, uh, from his army of slaves. And the, the, he needs more bricks in order to build more buildings. And he needs to build more buildings in order to hold all of his wealth that is coming to him in the form of grain. 
And so rather than a sort of a distribution of wealth, you have this surplus of wealth, and we need a place to store it for ourselves. And so we, I'm going to do that on the backs of slaves who then have to do more and more bricks, have to make more and more bricks. And so in this setting, the Hebrew people were only as valuable as they were productive. I want you to hear this. I want you to capture this. The Hebrew people were only as valuable as they were productive. They were only treasured in so much as they provided stores for the treasures of Egypt. Their life was centered and dependent upon their performance. Are you hearing this? The entirety of their worth as human beings was in some way connected to their productivity and ability to keep churning out more and more and more and more. So when God, after the Exodus, right, the people have been freed, thanks be to God, it's a new nation, a new identity, God is doing something new, God rescues the Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt, and then offers this command, on the seventh day, you have to take a break. Now, remember, for generations, it's been this people have been enslaved, and they're kind of building up a work ethic, and it's more and more and more, more production, value based on productivity, all of these kinds of things. They're released from that. Yay, we're free. We're our own people. We're our own nation. What kind of life, then, are we going to live? Let's look to our God who will direct us of the kind of people we are going to be. And God says, I want you to rest. It was actually far more revolutionary than it may sound to us. What happens is, is when God commands them to rest, he's actually liberating the people from the pressure of endless production. Remember, the God who rests is the God who liberates. And so with this command to Sabbath, God is actually liberating the Hebrew people from the pressure of endless production. God releases them from basing value on productivity. He demonstrates, God demonstrates that the well-being of creation is not dependent upon endless work. Right. God demonstrates that the well-being of creation is not dependent upon endless work. Instead, God calls them to rhythms of rest so they can focus on their relationship with God, their relationship with other. In other words, God invites them into a relationship based on covenant and not commodity. God invites them into a relationship based on covenant, not commodity. And it is quite a beautiful thing, wouldn't you say? Amen and amen, that's beautiful, Pastor. But my calendar has been more free in the last 18 months than it has been in my entire life. So why talk about this now, right? I mean, isn't it true that over the past year and a half, many of us have sort of experienced a forced Sabbath during times of quarantine or isolation? It's difficult to forget that day in mid-March 2020 where everything on our calendars was suddenly canceled, right? I mean, just the dominoes started to fall. 
And it was just, all of a sudden, everything was gone. And we had more time than we had had in months, maybe years. And here's what I've noticed pastorally or anecdotally is that as things began to open back up, one of the things I heard from several people is a desire to sort of reevaluate the busyness of life. In other words, it was kind of a reset button for a lot of people of as we kind of enter back into the what seems like more normal rhythms of life, here are the things that I'm going to intentionally say yes to, and then here are the things that I'm going to intentionally say no to. And, and, and I've seen a lot of that, to which I would say, I think that's good, and I think that's healthy, yes and amen, because we kind of need, needed that reset from wearing busyness as a badge of honor. But let me say this, while our calendars were freed up, our levels of anxiety and outrage increased, while the fever pitch of information was kind of running at full speed, right? And so I want to make this observation as sort of the grounding for the rest of my sermon, and it is this. It seems to me now that information has become the new form of busyness. In other words, and here's how this plays out in our lives. Did you see this article? Are you aware of this injustice? Do you see how this theory or that thing has been debunked? I mean, the speed of which information is coming to us, that's kind of the new busy. And so what I want to say to the church as we seek to have a prophetic witness in resisting outrage is that we need to apply Sabbath rest and rhythms and principles to the new kind of busy as well. This flood of information needs Sabbath rhythms in our lives. In the same way that sort of that, that pre-COVID we were in this just race of productivity, right? I mean, that was a that first little section of the sermon was just humming about two years ago, right? <laughs> and then this, you know, and then like Today, you all are kind of looking at me like, why is he talking about being so busy, you know? So, um, so, so let me say this. There's a, lot of, there's a lot going on in the world right now. There's a lot of injustice going on for which we can correctly have a righteous anger. There is much to process. There's pain that needs healing. All of these things need our attentiveness our faithful engagement, our attention. And yet, at the very same time, we must give ourselves permission to simply delight in that which is good. Amen. Sabbath, rest, and play is a way to do that. There's a lot going on in the world. There's a lot for which we can be righteously angry. There's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of things to give our attention to, a lot of causes going on. And yet, can we say with a deep sigh of relief, we have permission to simply delight in that which is good. Built into the fabric of creation is play, delight, and joy. 
And I could be really philosophical about that, and we could kind of, we, we could talk about that sort of like in high philosophical ways, or we could just show a video of a bird bouncing a golf ball, right? As a way of just simply saying, built, quite literally built into the fabric of creation is joy and delight and play. I'm reminded of Psalm 96, beginning with verse 11. that says, let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice, let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. Right? I mean, there's, this psalm is quite literally attaching human qualities of praise to creation, personifying creation as a way of saying the very earth itself is exploding with joy, delight, and, and praise. And so when I talk about rhythms of Sabbath, if you've been in the church for any amount of time, I think we can kind of get a handle on that. It's not so much about rules that we follow or what we can't do on a particular day of the week. It's really about entering into rhythms of connection with God, connection with other people. It's about kind of laying our hands down from our work to, as a sign of, of trust that it will be there when we get back. Right? That God can kind of sort things out in the meantime while I close the computer or put my hands down from the assembly line. Um, that, that is kind of Sabbath. But the, this idea of play, I think, is a little more slippery. Maybe we don't quite have a concept of that. And so when I talk about play, I'm talking about an activity or activities that you participate in that bring you pure joy and delight. The kind of delight I'm talking about usually can't and doesn't happen in front of a screen. <laughs> I only got one amen there. <laughs> and it was a quiet one, right? <laughs> it was like... <laughs> Okay, the kind of joy, the kind of play, the kind of delight that I'm talking about doesn't happen in front of a screen. Okay? And there are some fun things that can happen in front of a screen, right? Uh, I, like, I like a good video game as much as the next guy. But the kind of play that I'm talking about that really heals our soul can't happen in front of a screen, usually. I'm talking about the joy of connection to nature, to one another, to music, to art. The kind of play that involves adventure some level of risk and connection to others and a sense of wonder. And, and I guess the, the, really the only way that I know to talk about this kind of play is to describe it. A couple of years ago, in the summer of 2019, our family went on a vacation to the Riviera Maya. This was, in fact, a departure from our usual adventures in the mountains. Uh, we're mountain people. Um, Amy does our planning. She's a mountain person, right? She's a mountain mama. <laughs> and so, so many, much of our adventures are usually like we live in the mountains, and much of our adventures are like, let's go to a different set of mountains. Let's go on long, epic hikes. Let's go chase waterfalls. Um, 
and like if you grew up in the 90s, you're singing the song, right? Okay, so, <laughs> so we do all these things, but we went, we went to the River Yeremiah, and, and it was a real departure from our usual adventures. And, and I want to tell you, two years ago, summer of 2019, something happened on that vacation that made it a magical experience for all of us. And as I've reflected on it, um, I think it was this. I think it was the fact that we experienced wonder as we discovered the whole world that lies beneath the surface of the water while snorkeling. We experienced exhilaration as we zoomed down really, really long and high zip lines. Some of you are like, yeah. Some of you are like, no. <laughs> right? There was some risk involved as there were moments when we began to realize that there were stingrays kind of all circling right around us. Or the big, um, Jaden, is it a great barracuda under the bridge? Not just a barracuda, but a great barracuda who did not look very happy to see us. There's a sense of, of risk. And we were bonded together as we experienced all of these things in community with one another. This is the kind of play that I'm talking about. And you don't have to go on some epic vacation to experience it. But this is the kind of play. It's, it's made up of connectedness, wonder, delight, risk, competition, adventure, nature, art, beauty, all of these kinds of things that when we enter into that level of play, there's something that happens. Without play in our lives, two things tend to happen. We tend to get caught up in the hurts and disappointments of the past. I don't know about you, but if, I, if it's been a long time since I've really honored the, the rhythms of Sabbath or the rhythms of play in my life, I tend to get, like my, it feels like there's just kind of a weight on my shoulders and it's, I can't really articulate it much, uh, but I start to get really caught up in the hurts and disappointments of the past and I find myself saying, I wish that would have happened differently or I wish that wouldn't have happened at all, or if only uh, this decision had been made of, instead of this one, or then I play uh, the like, what-if game. What if this hadn't happened, but this had been done instead, or said instead, or whatever? And I start getting really caught up in the hurts and the disappointments of the past, and it weighs me down. The other thing that can happen, though, is I can get really caught up in the worries and the anxieties of the future. I can, I can start to, to look at all kinds of things, maybe the news headlines, maybe this report came out, maybe this is going on at the church, and, and I can kind of start getting all these things, and I get really anxious, and I get really worried about what's to take place in the future. And here's what play does, church. Play connects us to the present moment. When we play, the only thing that matters is what's happening right then and right now. And we experience the connectedness with one another, the wonder of what we see, the beauty that we are beholding, that we are, we're fully, our body is fully engaged in the risk or the adventure that we're experiencing and the exhilaration that comes from that. We are fully caught up in the gift of right now. 
Now, I'm preaching better than y'all are responding, so I'm just going to keep going, okay? This is why, this is why, when we play, time goes by so quickly, right? When we play, we're like, where did the time go? Where a whole day can pass, just like a few moments, a few minutes, and it's because every single moment, there is no, what are we going to do, like, in the future, not disappointments or hurts about what happened in the past, but we're fully caught up in what's happening right now. It's a beautiful gift. And in, the, in a barrage of information, in a culture of information, this article, that article, this outrage, that outrage, what we need as a church and as the people of God is to faithfully engage in play. Now, this does not mean disengagement from what's important. This does not mean you're off the hook from participating with the work of God in the world. This simply means that we can't give our attention all the time. We need rest just like God rested. Some might argue uh, that they're, how long am I preaching today? Some of you are getting hangry. So uh, let me try to button this up here. Some might argue that when there is so much that is wrong or going on or to be concerned about in the world, some might argue there's simply no room for play. To play is to be irresponsible. To play is to disconnect from what really matters. Um, And I would say this could not be further from the truth. When so much is wrong in the world, what we need now more than ever is Sabbath and play. Play is not ignorance of what is wrong in the world. Play is a celebration of that which is good. Let me say it again. Play is not ignorance of what's wrong with the world. Play is a celebration of that which is good. And to tell you about that, there's no better way than Harry Potter. So Harry Potter. Uh, There is a scene in Harry Potter when things have really gotten serious. I mean, the power of the Dark Lord is growing. Harry knows what lies before him. Did you hear that? Harry knows what lies before him. That is to say, he carries anxieties about the future. And much has been lost up to this point in the story, which is to say he carries hurts, pains, and disappointments of the past. And so he's kind of caught right there in the middle. Life is really hard. And in this powerful scene in the movie, and I don't remember which one it is because there's eight of them, and we've watched them pretty close together, so I have no idea. But Harry grabs Hermione by the arm and invites her to a simple dance. It is a moment that represents their friendship and the need to have some joy in the midst of a world that seems to be going all wrong. And this little dance is a celebration of what is good in the world, which is their friendship to one another. Play is not ignorance about what's wrong in the world. Play is a celebration of that which is good. And play also is an anticipation of when things will be made well again. When we play and we delight, we are anticipating the day when all will be made right. And so in this way, church, play is actually a prophetic, prophetic act. It points us to a future when all will be made right. And so with information coming us to us all moments of the day, Everything from Instagram that shows fun photos of your friends, but also terrifying photos, 
filled with filled emergency rooms, flooded roads, and the chaos in Afghanistan. These things need our engagement, but rest well, church. They do not need our engagement all of the time. Sometimes we need to take a break, lift up our heads, and play. And so this morning, I invite you this week into the spiritual practice of play. And I know we probably don't think about it that way. We probably don't think about play as a spiritual practice. But in our culture, where there is so much going on and so much information coming at us all the time, we need to stop and rest and play so that our hearts, our minds, our souls can be re-energized to enter back into the work to which God has called us, which is to do generative work based on our righteous anger. <laughs> yeah? You with me? I'm not saying we're off the hook. I'm not saying we have no more responsibility to just ignore what's going on in the world. I'm saying play enables us to more faithfully engage in the work to which God has called us. Amen? Amen. All right, let me lead us in a prayer, and then I'll lead us to the table. Gracious God, thank you for this important word today. Built right into the Ten Commandments, this command to rest, which on its own is, is certainly a prophetic word for our culture that tends to base value on productivity. We haven't lost that. Even though we're in the midst of a pandemic, we still haven't lost that sense of attaching value to production as people. And so, Lord, we, we kind of balance that, but, been, but then we also find ourselves now living in a world of really, really fast information coming to us all the time. And there are some things that very, very urgently need our collective attention, both as the church, but also as humanity. There are things that we need to give the full force of our intellect and effort to and problems that need to be solved. And God, we pray that you would lead us and guide us and direct us in those efforts. But God, even in your work of creation, you saw fit to rest. And so, God, would you help us to enter into the very spiritual practices of rest and play. Help us, Lord, in the moments when we misunderstand play and rest to be the same as sticking our nose in a screen. Help us all, Lord, to lift up our heads, lift up our eyes, and see that our help comes from you. To behold the beauty that is all around us. And whether that is far away on a vacation that we enjoy or whether that's in the beauty of our own backyards or the park down the street, Lord, may we engage faithfully in play. Help us, God, we pray. And energize us for the work to which you have called us. We ask all this in Jesus' name.